This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, exactly 20 years after its original air date. Which means we're finally talking about Restless. So I've, you know, been leading up. I've been teasing the fact that, like, this is my favorite episode and I'm nervous about, you know, talking about it effectively and blah, 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 blah. And I watched a 40 minute long YouTube video from the passionate nerd and his, um, or the passion of the nerd. I think I say passionate nerd (laughs) and it's passion of the nerd. Um, his restless video, um, usually his videos are like, you know, 15 minutes or so. Some, some of them are less. Um, but this one was 40 minutes long. Um, and I watched the episode twice, of course, like I always do and took notes and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like I had a moment where I realized the sheer depth of research on this particular episode of Buffy that I could have done. Um, in the Passion of the Nerds video, he cited some of his sources for some of his um, thoughts about the episode. And a couple of his sources are books, and I own both of those books. <laughs> One of them is um, Rhonda Wilcox's The Art of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She has an entire chapter on this episode. Plus there's a commentary. Joss Whedon has, you know, a commentary on the DVD, which I did not, I have watched it before. Um, but possibly when the DVDs first came out. So yeah, I don't know. It's been 10 or 15 years since I watched that fucking commentary, but God, is that true? When did I get the DVDs? I would have gotten the DVDs yeah, over 10 years ago. <laughs> That's crazy. Because <laughs> Buffy's been over for, God, like 17 years. Buffy's been over for like 17 years, guys. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, But anyway, I just had like a moment where I was starting to kind of make a list in my head. Okay, well, I need to watch commentary. I need to read that chapter in that book because, hey, I own that book, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've read that chapter before, but again, it's probably been as long as it's been since I've watched the commentary. Um, and I did a Buffy recap um, blog back in, I started it in 2011, I think. Um and it took like a year or so. I don't know. Um, so I could go back and see what my thoughts were on Restless nine years ago, you know? Um, yes. But then I was like, wow, I cannot be doing all of that. (laughs) Because I had a moment where I thought I was just going to skip this week. Um, I was just going to do like research all week and then 
come and talk to you guys next week about Restless. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to cripple myself if I do that. If I dive into everyone else's thoughts about this episode, I was going to get, it was going to destroy some of my enjoyment of it. And I was going to get too sucked into what other people think, um, which is one of the reasons why um, I used to constantly quote the Buffy podcast. It's called Buffering Podcast. Um, I really like it a lot. And I've gotten out of, I basically decided I wasn't going to listen to it before I talked about the episodes anymore. And most of that is because their thoughts are so similar to mine that some of the things that I would have thought of myself, I, you know, because I know that they said it, I don't, you know, I was like second guessing whether or not I would have actually said the thing. Um, and it's not like that with the passion of the nerd for some reason, because he, he approaches Buffy in a much more, I guess, academic way than I do. Um, much more researched, much more intelligent way. So like some of the things he brings up are things that I would never notice. So yeah, anyway, um, basically I just knew that if I started diving into the rabbit hole of the wealth of information that's available of pop culture, critical analysis of this particular episode of Buffy, um, which would be a fun thing to do, but it would not probably be, it, it would be time consuming and it would also take away from what, from what my voice is, what I bring to the table in Buffy the Vampire Slayer critical analysis <laughs> is off the cuff. Um, I mean, it's still like a, a psychological analysis, but I feel like if I I feel like if I dive too far into other people's thoughts, I'll, I'll start losing my own, you know? Um, so I'm keeping my sources small. Um, I think that's what I need to do right now. And it's not like we can't go back, you know, I could still do all of that research on Restless and come back and talk to you guys in a couple weeks about it, you know? Um, speaking of talking to you guys in a couple weeks, okay, let's get the business shit out of the way. First of all, let's light our candles, um, setting our intentions to have a nice, beautiful, productive conversation about dreams today, guys. What's it called? Um, I don't know how you pronounce it, but the like fortune telling f by interpreting your dreams is called, it's spelled O-N-E-I-R-O Mancy. Oniromancy, Oniromancy, I don't know. I always mispronounce things. I can also light, I've got two candles I'm gonna light today. I think that's gonna be it. Oh, I'm having some allergies today, guys. I've had like a headache all day. Maybe I should pause this podcast and take some ibuprofen. Do you guys wanna listen to me chase ibuprofen with a shot of whiskey? Sure, why not? Let's do it. Okay. I'm going to let you guys hear the sound effects of the pouring this time. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think it's important that you guys get to hear me pouring my whiskey. And sometimes I don't, you know. Okay. To a wonderful Buffy podcast.
and less sinus headaches. <clears throat> My mom texted me today because um, she listens to this podcast and she's like, since you're nervous about talking about this episode, how about you try not drinking so much on this one? <laughs> she was referring to that. What was the episode that I got real loopy? I think that particular time, like most of the time, I only take one shot and that's, that's normal for me to take a shot of whiskey at, in a night. <laughs> um, but I don't know what made me so loopy last time. It was crazy. Um, not last week, but okay. Yes. Business stuff. We're getting business stuff out of the way. Okay. Here we go. So I told you guys last week that I was thinking about putting up a survey to discuss since this is the last episode of season four, we won't have another Buffy episode to talk about within the context of the premise of this podcast until September. So the question is to you guys, what do you think we should do over the summer? My plan I think is going to be I'm probably not going to adhere to a strict schedule because I don't know what my work schedule is going to be like this summer. You know, things are really weird all over the world right now, obviously. Um, and it looks like right now I'm probably going to be working every Saturday. Um, and that just makes it a little harder. Um, although hold on. Why am I trying to stick to a Saturday thing? Anyway, I don't have to stick to Saturdays over the summer because we're not doing anniversary of Buffy episodes. So forget that. But I still probably would want to do like an every other week thing instead of every week. But I told you guys I was going to create a survey on my Patreon and I did. So the survey is, and you don't have to be a patron, um, it's just a place where I can put a survey up so anybody can see it. It'll be the pinned post, probably the first thing you see when you go to the website. It will be patreon.com slash mixtress ray. That's patron with an E after the R. And then mixtress ray is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And of course, that link is going to, going to be in the description notes of the podcast episode as well. So if you're driving right now, don't worry about it. You can check it later. So, um, driving or cleaning someone's house, you know, <laughs> those are the contexts in which I listen to podcasts. Um, so the choices are like, it's basically just a simple question. What should we do this summer? And the choices are talk about movies that are 20 years old this year. I won't be doing like reviewing them on the anniversary date likely it's just going to be like, you know, talking about movies from the year 2000, um, or Veronica Mars or Angel or Gilmore Girls or something else, please specify. So those are the five options on the survey. Um, I would love, 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 love for you to fill out my survey. Um, I've gotten a few responses so far, but I want to, um, give you guys, since I didn't announce it officially until right this very second, I want to give you guys some time. So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to take next week off. Um, and then I will come back in two weeks. Might not be on a Saturday slash Sunday. Um, but it'll be, let's see next 
next week is the 30th, so it'll be sometime in the week of June 1st through 7th. I'll have a podcast episode up, and at that point, so that's how long you guys will have to answer. Um, basically, just, you know, if you're listening in real time, late May of 2020, um, just, yeah, sometime... Let's see. I, I mean, I'm not going to give you be able to give you an exact date since I don't know the exact date that I will be recording the next podcast, but it'll be sometime in the next two weeks. So you've got about that much time. Um, so sometime between now and June 6th, um, just answer that survey and we will see so far, um, the survey responses have been overwhelmingly one of those options. So most likely it's going to end up that option, but, um, I won't spoil it for you. I mean, you can probably see the results when you go to the Patreon. So, um, you can see that like of all of the votes that I've gotten so far, they've all but one has been one vote. And the one vote that wasn't that was my mom. And she basically wants the thing that everybody else voted for too. So anyway, um, please take my survey, patreon.com slash Ray, and that's going to be the plan. Basically, whatever everybody votes for, I will be coming to you with that every two weeks during the summer, during June, July, and August, and part of September until we're ready to start season five of Buffy. Also, if you guys want me to, I think like, I have not done this consistently, but I think I did it for like season one, maybe. Did I do it for season two? Maybe. I don't know. But like, I could come back with like a season four recap episode, you know, where I talk about like MVP of the season, um, you know, that kind of stuff. I could do like a ratings system of like, best moments of season four or best episode of season four. You know, I could do one of those like wrap up the season kind of episodes. Um, yeah, that sounds fun, doesn't it? Like that feels like something I should do, but let me know what you guys think about that. Um, you can always, 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 I, I would love, love, love to welcome your emails. So send them to mixtressradio at gmail. And that's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S radio spelled the normal way at Gmail. Again, all of that information is always in the podcast notes, so you don't have to like memorize it right now. Okay, so let's get into it. It's time to talk about Restless. I'm actually not as nervous as I thought I would be because um, I just really... I watched, you know, The Passion of the Nerd and his 40-minute treatise on this episode of Buffy, and he had so many really smart things to say, and it was succinct, and it was done in video format, and it's like, I, I have a moment sometimes when I'm doing things like listening to the Buffering podcast, when they have like they interview actors from the show and watching that YouTube that's like super smart and it's edited really well and it's gorgeous and it's, you know, succinct and all that stuff that I just said. And I compare myself to them. 
but that's not what we do here. This is the, I like to think of myself as the Mark Marin of indie podcasts. Because <laughs> I'm literally sitting in a tiny closet in my house in a small town in the Midwest. And there's no way I would ever be able to interview James Marsters, you know, or anything like that. Like, that's not the world that I live in. And that's okay. And that doesn't mean that my opinion is less important, you know? My off-the-cuff, free-thinking, free, free-thought, what is it called when you just write and you don't think about what you're actually writing, you just let it come out? That's what I do. That's what I do. Um, sorry, I'm a little delirious because it, it is hot. Okay. Last night I drank, um, a cup of tea when I was really, really, really hot and it made me feel better. So I might make some tea later. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about it. The thing about Restless is, first of all, I'm going to start with when I watched this episode with my mom on Thursday night, we timed, like I literally got out my phone and started the stopwatch and timed how long each person's, each character's dream took. Um, if this is somehow, for some reason, the first time you've listened to this podcast, it is not spoiler free. Okay, there you go. There's your warning. Um, so... Willow's dream was nine and a half minutes. Xander's dream was 13 minutes. Giles's dream was six minutes. And Buffy's dream was nine minutes and 15 seconds. So if you're counting, Xander got a lot more time. He got the biggest focus. And the thing that like, you know, all the smart things that all the other people say about this particular episode of Buffy, the thing that I really had to distill it down to was like, what is the psychological drive? What is the purpose? What is the source of the psychological, I want to say trauma, but it's not, trauma is not the word, the psychological motivation behind each dream. And it is essentially this. Willow is having imposter syndrome. You know that thing where like the people that love you and care about you and respect you and want to be around you, your friends and chosen family, you think whenever you have that feeling in you that like oh my God, they're going to find out. They're going to find out about me. They're going to find out. They're going to find out that they're going to realize that I'm not actually who they think I am. I'm not actually cool enough to be around them. If they, if that whole, like, um, what is it? Karl Marx, where he was Groucho Marx, where he was like, his quote is something like, I don't want to be in any club that would have me or something. It's that like, if you really know who I am, you're obviously not going to like me. So so since you do like me, you don't really know me. Um, and it's interesting because the passion of the nerd, he was talking about like, he was trying to figure out if this dream was about her, um, 
coming to terms with being a lesbian. And it's, there's elements of that in the dream, but it's really not about that. And I've never thought that it was about that. It really isn't about that. It's about Willow's afraid that everyone's going to find out that she's actually just a nerd. She's actually not exceptional. Um, she, you know, and she's chosen and that's an interesting thing that both Xander and Willow have to deal with because they've chosen to spend their lives helping a slayer. They've chosen to spend their lives surround, completely revolving their lives around a supernatural person that was chosen. They chose Buffy's life. Buffy didn't choose her life. Buffy's life was chosen. Um, and they're choosing to be a part of it, but they're not supernatural. I mean, Willow turns out to be like a really, really, really powerful witch, but that was all driven by her. She drove that. She, the, the show seems to want you to think that the magic is what Willow, the magic is the thing that makes Willow special. She becomes a very, very overwhelmingly powerful witch. Um, within the series and continuing on into the comics, she is like, there's nothing she can't do. She basically re literally rewrites the book on magic at one point in the comics. And she rewrites the terms that magic is, that magic operates under. It's like a whole thing. <laughs> um, it's a big deal. And she's still coming to terms with that part of her, her identity. The whole like magic as a metaphor for sexuality is a thing, but magic doesn't, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar and magic in Willow's life is sometimes still just magic. And so her dream is about that. Her dream is about, um, she's not sure if she really has, she wants to be powerful. She wants to be cool. She's trying on, she's still at the point in her life where she's trying on identities to see what fits. Um, like a lot of people are at this age, you know, they're at this point, they're like 19, 20 around that age. So that's what Willow's dream is about. So I'm going to distill their dreams into their essences first, and then we're going to go into my notes after that. Apparently that's, it sounds like I have a structure and an idea for what I'm doing, but I really don't. Xander, his dream is, um, and Michael tried to like make the argument that like the reason why we're spending more time with Xander is because he has the most relatable issue. And that is probably actually kind of true that he has the most relatable issue. But the real reason why Xander gets a 13 minute long dream where everyone else gets 10 minutes or less is because he's the Joss surrogate. And this is an episode written and directed by Joss Whedon. And of course, Xander's going to get the most time. That's just how, that's just how it goes. Um, Xander's dream is literally, where are you going? What are you doing with your life? All roads lead back to the psychological, psychological traumas that I'm going to repeat that my parents passed down to me and all roads lead back to the basement. You know, where are you going? What are you doing with your life? Pretty simple. That's what Xander's whole deal is. 
Giles, his is not, you know, this entire season, like the themes of the season are identity, trying, where do you fit in? What path does your life take? Is it a structured path that is chosen by society? Are you trying to fit into a mold? Are you trying to fit into a box? Or are you going to forge your own path? That is largely the entire theme of season four. Giles, his is not about like, who am I? He knows who he is. Um, but it's about what if I did this instead? It's kind of like a now that I'm at this point where I've kind of chosen the path of my life, what if I did something else? Like he's been singing in lots of episodes recently. So we sort of seen this like rock star Giles persona of like, and he sings in this episode too. So there's kind of a little bit of an element of what if I did that? What if I had done that? You know, like what if I'd become a rock star instead of becoming a washer? Like his is more about instead of who am I, where do I fit in? His theme is what's next for me. Um, his is here are the paths that I didn't paths that I didn't walk down. You know, there's that whole theme in his dream, um, with Olivia, she's pregnant and she's pushing an empty stroller. And so that to me is an immediate, like miscarriage scenario and like taking it literally, I want to be like, Giles, did she get pregnant when she was there during hush? <laughs> Cause that was, you know, like she would still have not come to term at this point. Was there a moment like he's been drinking a little bit lately. He's been kind of like having his like midlife crisis moment lately. Um, I looked up also, I was like, I wonder, like my theory was that um, James Marsters, who plays Spike, and Anthony Stewart Head, who plays Giles, my my theory was that they were like five years apart in age, um, and it's um, eight years actually. Anthony Stewart Head was born in 1954, and James Marsters, who plays Spike, was born in 1962. So I think that's an interesting contrast. Like if you were Anthony Stewart Head, who was an actual rock star. <laughs> who actually his real accent sounds like Spike's accent. So if you were playing, you know, a watcher that wears tweed suits and is a librarian and um, he's kind of like the stuffy older guy type. <laughs> and then this guy comes onto set who's only eight years younger than you and gets to portray a sexy vampire. <laughs> Wouldn't that make you a little cranky? Wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, it's just stupid aside. So Giles's dream is all about what's next for me. What am I going to do next? Um, and you'll see s not really soon. How soon will we see that? I think we get tiny little inklings in the next season that like maybe Giles was thinking about leaving. I think we get that. I think we get a little bit of like, maybe he was thinking about going back home. Um, because his life is in England. The only reason why he's in Sunnydale, California, USA, is to be 
Buffy's Watcher, and he hasn't really performed that role. He's been fired as a Watcher at this point. He's no longer a librarian. He's not the rock star that he, which was another possible path for him. He doesn't know what's next. That's his dream. And then Buffy's dream. Buffy's dream really distills to isolation. Um, the whole dream is about like finding her friends. She's trying to find her friends and everyone around her is trying to tell her you're alone. You're alone. What are you talking about? You're never going to find them. You lost them. They're gone. And she's pretty much, you don't see her really diving into her insecurities. You see her saying, no, like people tell her you're alone. And she says, no. So hers is, it's a progression, you know, like the reason why we go from Willow to Xander to Giles to Buffy is because that's the order of the tarot cards in the last episode. Um, that's the order that they invoked each person into the spell of, it's really kind of a cool spell. Like I never really thought about it before. Um, you know, I just thought, that's really cool. They all combined to become one and then they kicked ass matrix style. <laughs> you know, that's how I always thought of it in the past. But what they did was they called upon the essence of the very first slayer, whose name is Sanaya, um, which is only said in the spell. They didn't say it in this episode. In fact, in this episode, she says it's at one point, I have no name or something like that. We'll get there. Um, And so that's just pretty much her theme. Buffy's theme in the dream is the same as the, as kind of the thesis statement of the whole series is that one, one person, girl in all the world chosen to fight against the blah, 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 blah. It's this system. It's this patriarchal system created by men. And once we find out more about the Slayer line and how it was created, we'll find out how true that really is. It's the patriarchy. It's a patriarchal system that they made up those rules of one girl in all the world. The idea was for this one girl to be isolated, was for her to feel like she's alone, alone in the desert. And all the narratives around Buffy are trying to tell her this. It's just you. You can't tell anybody who you are. It's you, 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 you. No one will understand you. And that's reinforced in the dream symbolism from everyone else's dream as well. They do not understand Buffy. The way that she is portrayed in each of their dreams is very strange. In, in Willow's dream, she's playing like a flapper girl and she's I don't know, kind of flighty or something. In Xander's dream, she's literally sitting in a sandbox, playing in a sandbox. In Giles's dream, she's wearing overalls and pigtails and skipping around. And it's very evident that like, it's almost like a family scenario. Olivia's there. She's pregnant. She's pushing the empty stroller. And then Giles and Buffy and Buffy's like, got the pigtails and Giles is like, so that scene really exemplifies like Giles has chosen to parent a slayer instead of be a literal parent. 
That's what that shows me right there. That's why Olivia is pushing the empty stroller. She's kind of holding out and she's pregnant. So she's kind of holding out hope that she could create something with Giles. And obviously they have a past. Um, I, I find that really interesting that Olivia's in the stream. I find that really cool. That's, that's an interesting element that they had there. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if we ever even get Olivia mentioned again after this season. I think she's only in the season, but that would be an interesting plot line to explore. You know, um, how did Giles meet Olivia? Did Olivia want to create a family? Did they have plans to create a family together? Did she get pregnant um, and then have a miscarriage? And part of the reason she had that miscarriage is because she was really stressed out because Giles wouldn't come home. You know, like, I mean, obviously I'm reading too much into this. It's a dream, you know, like I have pregnant dreams all the time and I will never, ever, ever be pregnant. But um, yeah. Anyway, let's get into my notes, shall we? Um, so mostly my notes, most of the time my notes are just quotes from the episode to help me like ground myself in time and figure out where to go from there. So my first note is you push the button on the microwave that says popcorn. <laughs> um, so, you know, the whole premise of this episode is that, you know, they have just exited the whole fight with Adam thing and they decided to go to Buffy's house and watch a bunch of movies because they're wired because they've all, and I think this is cool because like, you know, they were just, you know, joined in a spell. They were occupying, they were all occupying Buffy's body simultaneously. <laughs> and that's a weird thing. And I like the idea that like, they were just really kind of wired, full of adrenaline after that whole thing happened and they wanted to stay together. You know, it's kind of weird to think about like, why would Giles be hanging out with them, you know, at Buffy's house, you know, and like Joyce is like treating them all like kids having a sleepover or something. Um, but I like the idea that like, they just wanted to be together, you know, and the, of course, anytime there's like a pop culture, situation in a movie or TV or whatever, where they're going to sit down and they're going to watch some movies. Like it comforts me immensely. Like, you know, that something bad is going to happen. You're not actually going to get to like be in that moment with them. But I always want there to be like a whole episode of something where people are just like literally sitting around talking about a movie. <laughs> I guess that's why podcasts exist, right? for that moment um when no drama is happening you're just listening to someone talk about something that's what i wanted um so we see joyce like i don't i guess probably the last time we saw her was when um buffy and faith switched bodies that was the last time we've only seen her in like three or four episodes this season she's gonna be in the next season a lot more until she dies. <laughs> yeah, guys, we're gonna have to deal with that. <laughs> um, so this is the first time Riley is meeting Joyce. They have like this little moment in the very beginning and everybody's getting ready to watch the movies. Just a little gripe because, you know, written and directed by Joss Whedon. So I'm going to have a lot of gripes about how much attention Xander gets in this episode. So the first gripe 
is that, um, you know, they're talking about the movies that they're going to watch and Xander's pretty much talking the entire time. And he's just, cause I guess he was in charge of getting the movies and he talks about apocalypse now and he wants to watch apocalypse now and blah, blah, blah. And that is the only movie that is name dropped. He, he says at one point, just dismissively, don't worry. I got lots of chick flicks and British guy flicks too. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> chick flicks and British guy flicks. Like, things with British guys in them? Things with women in them? Wow. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, something that was pointed out by the Passion of the Nerd um, that I did not, I did not catch that symbolism, but you can see it throughout um, different dreams. At least in Willow's Dream and Xander's Dream, you see this played out. Um, in Willow's Dream, Tara is she's lit like by candlelight from behind her or something like she's lit from within almost. And there's that moment where Willow opens the curtains and it just floods light all over Tara. And she's not, even though they've been sitting in a dark room, she doesn't flinch from the light. It's Willow that's flinching from the light. It's Willow that doesn't want to go out into the light. And, um, he mentioned that they kind of had a visual yin yang, situation going on in that first scene in Willow's dream Tara's naked Willow's fully clothed um Tara's like backlit by light and Willow is in shadow and then in Xander's dream you see um whenever he's like his imagination has totally pornified Tara and Willow and they're in the back of the ice cream truck you know that scene um Tara's wearing white with some like black accents in her wardrobe and Willow's wearing all black. And so the yin yang thing and it, and it really like shows, I, I think a lot of the time the show of Buffy, they kind of know where they're going with major plot points and major character developments. So that's why they can have these little moments of foreshadowing, um, especially in dreams and different episodes. This is one of those moments. I think they probably already knew that Willow was going to go off the deep end when it comes to magic, that she was going to really go bad. I think they knew that at this point. Um, and Tara, throughout the episode is portrayed as being this like she's the thing that grounds the entire episode she grounds everyone's dreams I don't think she's actually in Giles's dream but and she's just there as a sex object in Xander's dream but she really grounds Willow's dream and Buffy's dream which is the first dream and the last dream she's she's okay yeah you know what I'm gonna go ahead just like, duh, Tara is the MVP of this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. She is. Okay. Um, okay. So let's get into Willow's dream. So we've talked about it a lot, but let's go ahead and get into like the notes. Tara is lit by light. Um, it's interesting. I'm not sure quite what the symbolism is with like the very first comment in the dream is, you know, Tara is worried that they haven't named the cat yet. The little kitten and Willow's 
Will's not worried about it at all. In fact, she says, I never worry here. And this was, I, I thought this was just effective. Like, I probably relate to Willow's dream the most, honestly. Um, I thought this was really effective. Um, just the entire, the environment of Tara's room is just like, it's a sanctuary, you know? And the fact that Willow has spent a bunch of this year just hiding out there. It was kind of her solace place. It was her healing place. She was able to go to a place with a person where she felt safe and grounded and it felt cut off from her normal reality. You know, it was a place of magic, a place of love, a place of just a different environment than she had been in. And that's kind of also what like new love feels like, you know, <laughs> I was reminded of that Depeche Mode song in your room where time stands still. Um, it's a good song. Um, it just reminds me of that, that sort of like timelessness of like just being inside a bedroom full of rich textures and dark colors and lights. And that's always the kind of like vibe that I like to create in bedrooms. <laughs> that sort of, you know, where you can just lose all sense of time and just be safe and warm and listen to music. And, you know, it's a good space. It's a good space. And you get that feeling in Willow's dream. And you get that feeling every time you're in Tara's room. It's a very special thing, <laughs> very special thing. Um, so this note is totally out of context. I had to like start the episode over. So I got like a little out of linear time here, but I noticed that just fun little side note, Buffy's VCR is the same as my VCR. It might not be exactly the same because you don't get a good enough look at it. And I really tried to like pause every single second, but Xander's freaking fingers were in the way most of the time. But it looks like it might be the same as my VCR, which I have plugged in and ready to go at all times. I am that bitch ready to go with VCR. Um, the thing that Willow is riding on Tara's back at the beginning of her dream. It is um, poetry by Sappho, who is super old Greek poet, maybe not even Greek, but I think so, Greek and Roman times type poet who um, mostly wrote poetry. It was like, she, she was a woman and she mostly wrote poetry about other women. Um, and she has a really cool history that I don't remember all the details, but like, look her up. She's cool. Um, she's the entire reason for like the, the, she's the entire reason for the word lesbian because she was from the island of Lesbos and, um, that's where we got the word lesbian because she wrote poetry about other women and she loved her she loved her friends <laughs> very, very much. <laughs> um, so what is being written on Tara's back is some kind of something of Sappho's poetry. It was outlined in, um, the passion of the nerds YouTube channel. Like he wrote it all out so you could see the translation 
and it just looked like regular poetry to me. I'm not a poetry person, but it did show a little bit of, um, what's the word for foreboding. There was a little bit of foreboding there. Um, the last line of the poem that actually hadn't yet been finished on Tara's back had something to do with, um, this is not the exact wording, but it had something to do with like, you will love me even against your will. Um, look it up if you want to know the exact wording on that. But um, it was essentially that, which is kind of chilling because, you know, if you know the story of Buffy, um, you'll know that in season six, in a couple of years, Willow will start doing spells and messing with Tara's memories because, you know, Tara disapproves of how far Willow goes with magic and Willow starts literally taking Tara's consent away and erasing those fights and things like that. And, um, it's, ugh, it's just chilling that like that might not be intentional, but you know, obviously you can interpret art however you want. And there you go. Obviously, Willow's like walking through the red curtains and finding Tara in there is a very vaginal reference, obviously. Um, fun to see Oz. So there's Oz and Xander in the halls of the school in that part of Willow's dream. And then Xander, okay, Xander makes like a spells joke, like, but it really has no place in Willow's dream. Like, it's just a way for, like, Xander to get more fucking screen time, even in Willow's dream. Like, it annoys me. And he also makes the stupid, like, masturbation joke, which is funny, but he makes it when Willow is out of earshot in her own fucking dream. So, that just really bugs me. Like, a lot. So, there you go. Um... So Willow's dream is about performance anxiety and people finding out who she really is. And there's the whole, like, she is going to her first day of drama class, but then she finds out that they're about to put on a fucking play and they haven't even had class yet. And like, how many times have we all had dreams like that? You know, it's very, very real. Um, I like Riley saying, I'm cowboy guy. It's interesting to like... Analyze how the characters are portrayed in each person's dream and to look at it from their point of view. Like the fact that Riley, like all he says in Willow's dream is like, I'm cowboy guy. I got here early, so I got to be cowboy guy. You know, like he, he's very one dimensional and he's very much, the way that he's portrayed is very much, you don't belong here. Like, from Willow's perspective, the way that she sees Riley in, like, the very naked symbolism of her dream and the way that he's cast in her dream and in this play is, you are silly and you don't make sense in this world. And that's unfortunately true of Riley. <laughs> Poor baby. Poor baby Riley. Um, and also in her dream, Giles has no glasses on and he's sort of portrayed as like handsome stage director dude you know like <laughs> um so that is a little bit telling um 
let's see and he talks about hiding um it's all about hiding acting is about hiding and i found it interesting i don't know if this is a comment on patriarchy or not but um in willow's dream giles is trying to like describe what a prop is what are the things you hold in your hands and you interact with and you and harmony who's standing right next to him doing that whole biting thing that's funny um she says props and he says no and then riley says props and he says yes so i don't know if that's a comment on patriarchy because like he basically wasn't listening to the woman that was trying to answer his question but as soon as a man answers it he's like sure I don't know if that was, but it kind of seemed like it. So there you go. I offer it to you for further analysis, should you choose. <laughs> um, and then it's literally said by one of the characters, why is there a cowboy in Death of a Salesman anyway? I think Willow actually says that, which is that that's the moment that I was like, oh, that translation is what is Riley doing here? He doesn't belong with us. Um, and Willow keeps asking questions like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? What am I supposed to be doing? She's very concerned with what other people think, you know, what's the structure that other people have set up that I can move in. You know, she wants to know what the rules are so she knows how to navigate the situation. Um, she's very detail oriented that oh God, I really relate to that right now, especially I'm having a lot of problems in my life with, figuring out like you know seeing other people set up the structure and then me deciding what works for me and what doesn't within that structure you know um i won't go further into that if you want to hear like all of my existential thoughts lately you can become a patron <laughs> at any level of giving you can hear all of my really super personal shit on my weekly podcast slash radio show Anyway, um, so that's basically Willow's dream. She ends up in a classroom where she's wearing the same, she's wearing like a facsimile of the outfit that she was wearing in the first few episodes of Buffy, where she was like the nerd, the softer side of Sears, as Cordelia called her. Um, and she's doing a book report and Oz and Tara are in the classroom and they're like, laughing at her you know it's the whole imposter syndrome thing like she that is her biggest fear it's not that people will find out she's a lesbian it's it's not that at all it's a and i don't know if anybody ever really thought that it was just i never thought that that's what this dream was about like yeah i don't know and then we get to xander's dream God, we're almost an hour in and we're just to the second dream. Um, again, his dream is just all, my first note was all roads lead back to the basement because his is like, you know, and it's also a very familiar dream thing where like you're suddenly in a completely different place and you don't know how you got there. That's what's going on in his dream. He's just constantly like moving from one place to the next in a very, uh, beautiful way. Oh my God. The, the score in this episode, it's the same dude, Christoph Beck, that does the score for Buffy consistently throughout most, if not all of the series. 
And most of the time, I really don't like the score of Buffy. But he does a really fucking good job in this episode, which makes me think, you know, like, why wasn't he doing a really fucking good job throughout the entire series? I don't know. (laughs) Why did he choose now to be amazing? Because the score in this episode is just, it gives me chills. Like, especially all that, like, the desert, like, singing stuff is just gorgeous. It is gorgeous. I love it so much. Okay. Anyway. If you also love it so much, try Ofra Haza. That's not the singer that is in this episode of Buffy, but she has a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And if you guys know of other, um, it's mostly like Arabian style singing, I think, music. Um, It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Okay. All roads lead back to the basement. Um, I wrote down new car smell because, like, there was a moment where um, Xander was asking for the popcorn from Buffy in his dream. And he asks if it's butter flavor. And she says, new car smell. He's like, ooh. (laughs) That's just one of those, like, the nonsensical dream moments throughout this episode. I think that is what I was clinging on to when I call this my favorite episode of Buffy. Unfortunately, and this was said in the Passion of the Nerds video as well, something that I had actually thought to myself before watching his interpretation of it, but he did say it, which was basically like, this is one of his very favorite episodes of Buffy ever. And doing the analysis of it, you know, you can't completely come back from that. Like, I just felt like giddy joy every other time I've seen this episode, but this time really sitting down and taking notes and trying to analyze it. And in a sense, it helps me get more out of it, but also picking it apart can, I mean, that's just the nature of the thing though. The nature of pop culture analysis is that picking it apart means that you are going to lose a little bit of the joy that you have by not picking it apart picking it apart, but I still think it's worth doing. (laughs) Thankfully, or else I wouldn't be doing this podcast anymore. Um, I just, I don't even know if I want to talk about Xander's dream. (laughs) There's the whole, okay, so like literally all roads lead back to the basement. Like everything, there's several moments in the episode where like episode in the dream where people are asking him, like Anya asks him, do you know where you're going? Um, Buffy says to him at one point, I'm way ahead of you, big brother. Willow says to him at some point, I'm way ahead of you. At one point, Giles says to Xander, um, the others have gone on ahead. So there's just a lot of symbolism of like, everyone's left you behind. Everyone else is further along their path of deciding who they are and what they're doing with their lives. And you haven't decided shit, which isn't actually true. Like Buffy and Willow might be in school, but they're not really deciding what to do with their lives yet. Xander's the one that's actually asking himself that question at this point. He's actually asking himself that question. He's trying all these different jobs. Like, Buffy and Willow are just, you know, they're doing that thing that we all do when we go to college, which is just putting off that decision a little bit longer, right? 
Um, there's this whole thing um, with like, it's this whole like sex element in Xander's dream that I, I accept it from what I know about men, but I am not a man and I've never had the experience of being a man. So I don't have that thought process, the like continual sexualization of everyone in your path. Um, it was pointed out by the passion of the nerd, which I think is really an important distinction that I did not think of myself. There are only two women in Xander's dream that aren't sexualized. And that is Anya and Buffy. And Anya is not sexualized because she's, you know, he's already had that conquest. You know, he's already figured that shit out. <laughs> and Buffy's not sexualized because he, he has accepted the fact that she rejected him for one. He has accepted that. Um, for the most part, like, but he sort of put her in a box, like literally she's in a sandbox inside of his dream. He has put her in a box. Um, I didn't, I also didn't pick up on this, but it was mentioned by the passion of the nerd, which is, um, when he's talking to Buffy and she's in that little sandbox and she says to him, I'm way ahead of you, big brother. And he reacts by saying, brother, it never occurred to me that this was him reacting like, like he's always going to kind of see her. He's always going to have a crush on her. You know, he's always going to have feelings for her. And it makes sense that he would kind of prickle at the word brother. But also I had this thought, did they all, okay, this is like way, way, way down the line. And this is a spoiler if you've never read the comics, but, um, they couldn't have known this at this point. Surely not. But if they did, wow, that's smart. So her saying big brother later, way, way, way later in the future, um, like season nine of Buffy, according to the comics, um, Dawn and Xander date. And they end up being like, they, they break up for a while and there's a whole thing, but then they get back together. And I think they're forever. I think Xander and Dawn are forever. Um, that's the way that the comic series ended with them still together. And they'd actually started a family together at that point. I think I'm pretty sure, which is really creepy. If you think about it in the context of where we are right now, we haven't even met Dawn yet. And when we do, she's going to be like fully, like she's like six years younger, um, than Xander. And that seems really gross, but, and it is gross and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it plenty in the future, but wouldn't that be interesting if they already knew that at this point, that that was going to happen someday, Like she hasn't even been introduced as a character yet. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy to think about that. <laughs> so it's like Buffy's calling Xander her brother because he's going to become her brother-in-law at some point. Wow. Okay. Let's just pretend that's what it means. Let's pretend they're that smart. Um, oh, and then another thing, a theme in Xander's dream, every time he ends up in the basement, you know, there's knocking at the top of the basement steps. 
And we find out later it's his dad. But from the very beginning, Xander says, that's not the way out. And he says that twice. Um, he says that at the beginning of his dream, the first time he ends up in the basement, he says it's at the very end before his dream ends. Um, that's not the way out. And that's an interesting, like, foreboding thing, too, for him, because we don't know much about Xander's past at this point. We don't really ever find out a whole lot of actual details about it. It's just in contexts like these that we find out about Xander's past and his family life growing up. We know that his parents fought um, and that they drink. You know, he's just peppered in little things here's, here and there about that. But this is a moment where you actually like see his dad for a second. This is the only time you ever see his dad isn't it? No, you see him during the like wedding episode, but it isn't the same actor. But anyway, anyway, the whole point is this is the first indication that we get that Xander is afraid of becoming his dad. He's afraid of repeating the psychological issues that he saw in his parents growing up. And it's the first indication you see of that. And that doesn't actually come back again until he leaves Anya at the altar. Like the whole, like, I'm a, f and then he becomes heartless. So that's an interesting thing that like, he's afraid that he's going to lose his heart. He's going to lose his emotional capacity to love if he becomes his dad. So it's interesting. Like all of the elements in Xander's dream are interesting because, hey, he gets the most time and attention and he gets the best score elements and he gets the best, like, cinematic shots and everything. Like, if Joss Whedon had made a movie, it would have been Xander's dream for two full hours. <laughs> would have been about a white dude. That's what Joss's dream really is. He just, for some reason, used... Anyway, <laughs> sorry. I need to get some water. Hold, please. Um, we also, in Xander's dream, get the, I think I'm going to call this the quote of the episode. It's not actually one of the profound quotes in the episode, of which there are several, but it's got to be Anya's, um, when she says, I think I figured out how to gesture and how to steer by gesturing emphatically. <laughs> I love that. I think about it all the time. And sometimes I say it and like, nobody fucking knows what I'm talking about when I say that. <laughs> And then I started doing the hand motions. Um, I really liked the moment in Xander's dream where, towards the end, where he goes to find Giles in the school, or he's trying to catch up with everybody, and he finds Giles in the school, and Giles starts trying to tell him, listen carefully, what I'm about to tell you could save your life. And then he starts speaking in French. And then... Anya starts speaking in French and he can't understand anyone. And I thought that was really, it was a good element to put in there because I've had that moment in dreams, you know, like where not necessarily people are speaking French, but they were speaking some kind of language and you couldn't fucking understand them. And the whole, like, um, I know in Xander's dream, the whole point of him, like trying to pee and then them, all those like initiative guys looking at him or whatever, the point for him was like some sort of like evaluation thing. Again, I think that's a guy thing. I don't get it. Like no one's ever tried to evaluate my vulva. So I don't know, but, um, I have definitely had that dream 
many times, as I'm sure all of you have too, where you're trying to find a bathroom and just like nothing is working and you keep trying to find another bathroom. You keep thinking you're to, of course, if you succeeded in peeing, that probably means you're peeing in the bed, right? So you don't want that. But um, that was a good element to be in the dream as well. So is that all we have to say about, I think that's all we have to say about Xander's dream. Like there are other things that I wrote down that we could really pick apart every single moment of every single one of these dreams. But the point is for Xander's dream, where are you heading? What are you doing? I'm way ahead of you, big brother. Where are you going? Do you know where you're going? Um, it's all about not knowing where you're going and what you're doing with your life. And then we go to Giles's dream. Um, and it begins with him in his, one of his old watcher outfits that he doesn't really wear anymore. Hypnotizing Buffy with a watch, watch, watcher, get it, get it. And she's like, this is kind of old fashioned, isn't it? And he says, this is the way men and women have behaved since he doesn't say since the dawn of time, but he says something like that. Um, for a long time since the beginning, something like that. Um, and she kind of laughs at him. And so this is pretty easy to suss out right here. Like he chose this life of watcher and it is the source of probably one of his biggest regrets, which was when he chose his station as watcher and the traditions carried out by watchers over his morality that time that he crippled Buffy. He hypnotized her and drugged her and crippled her powers because it was, you know, that cruciamentum thing, um, because it was a tradition for watchers to do that to their slayers as a test. And so it's probably the source of his biggest regret, like, and those themes are kind of played out in his dream as well. Like Buffy laughing at him and saying, this is old fashioned kind of harkens to the fact that like, she wasn't just, she's never just going to accept the structures that someone else lays out for her. You know, everybody else is struggling with like, should I try to fit in somewhere? Should I be a part of society somewhere? And Buffy's never really concerned with fitting in. She wants to have connections to other people, but she wants to forge her own path and she wants to be with other people that are also forging their own paths. Um, there's even some references to like sheep and being shepherded and stuff in Xander's dream, you know, and he at one point says to Anya something like, you can't just do whatever you want. There are rules in society and like even Willow's like, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? And Giles is like, you know, which path should I have taken? Like, they're all like a little bit preoccupied with like, where do I fit in in society? And Buffy's not. She's really not worried. Okay, sorry. My SD card just filled up. So hopefully I realized it immediately and we haven't lost any content, but whatever. Anyway, let's get going. <laughs> um, so his, his first you know, words to her. This is the way men and women have behaved since the beginning, you know, and he's hypnotizing her. And then there's the whole thing that I already mentioned with, um, Olivia pushing the empty stroller and they're at a carnival. And there's this funny moment where Buffy's like, you know, throwing things at a 
vampire in a carnival game and it's cute. Um, then there's Spike. I don't really know what the symbolism of like Spike had to be here at some point. The only dream that he's in is, is Giles's dream. And I wonder if, so there's this whole moment where Spike is in black and white and they're in his crypt and he's posing for cameras. He's like become a sideshow attraction or something. And, um, and it's funny, but I wonder what his presence here means. My very first theory is maybe he's there because Giles is kind of like wondering about alternative paths that his life could have taken. And he must see something in Spike that reminds him of his former self. Um, like that whole like Spike kind of has the life of a rock star and then especially in this dream where he's literally just like posing and people are taking pictures of him and like, you know, that whole thing. Um, so it's, there's an element of silliness in it, but also maybe Giles is thinking like that, like, Hey, I could have been a rock star, you know? He probably like disdains Spike partially for reasons that he sees something in Spike that reminds him of himself in some way. Again, this is the first time I've ever made this kind of parallel between Giles and Spike. So maybe I'm stretching, but it's just an idea. We can see if that plays out in any way. And there's also the connection between Giles and Spike in Xander's dream because they're swinging on that swing set together. And, um, Giles is saying that Spike is like a son to him, even though he's only eight years younger. Um, and that's the exact outfit that, um, Spike will later be wearing in an, in that episode where Willow makes everyone forget who they are. Um, and they theorize that maybe Spike is Giles' son. Again, only eight years younger. I'm never going to forget that now. That's what happens. Okay. Um, let's see. What else do I have here? There's the exposition song. I think it's literally called the exposition song. So Giles is, he's figuring things out in his dream. So I haven't even mentioned, oh my God, throughout, I'm just talking about all the like psychological symbolism of their dreams. And I haven't even mentioned the fact that the first slayer is pursuing them in their dreams. And she is attacking them for the aspect of themselves that was contributed to the spell. So she's sucking the spirit out of Willow because she was spiritus in the spell. She's taking the heart out of Xander because he was the heart, whatever that word was, animus, I think is the word that was used for heart. And then, um, for Giles, she scalps him and takes his brain and he figures it out, you know, like the, the dreams are kind of going linearly, like, you know, something is chasing Willow in her dream. And Xander hasn't really put anything together though. His dream is still all about him and he hasn't put any, anything together. But by Giles's dream, he understands that they're all being pursued and he's trying to figure it out. 
and um, he just knows that he can put it together. Like his dream is about his mind, is about choices that he's making. He's very much the air element here um, because he was like the mind, Sophus the mind. Um, that was his contribution. And I liked the element of him trying to untangle the wires because um, he was problem solving. Like he's trying to figure out what's going on. Like immediately when there's feedback on stage, when he's singing, he's like, oh, I, I got to figure out what that is. And he starts following the wire. And um, he, he just knows that if he can solve the puzzle, he can figure it out. So at this point, they like, they know that something's wrong and something's pursuing them. And he figures it out at the very end of his dream that what's pursuing them is a slayer. And here's where we kind of have to talk about, I'm not sure that I am the one to speak to this, but I think it is a good choice that they made that they decided to, to cast the first slayer as a black woman. I think that makes sense because we're talking about going back in time a really long time. So it makes sense to me that she, because I mean, I guess I don't really know enough about history to know this, but it, it makes sense to me that like most of civilization originated in Africa, right? Am I getting that wrong? I'm definitely not a history person, but it makes sense to me that she would be black. However, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a show that's historically been, you know, very, very, very white. And when they have characters of color, they don't necessarily know how to portray them correctly. And that is definitely the case with this character. She is portrayed as, I mean, she's supposed to be sort of like a proto-human, like a very ancient person. She is supposed to be that. But there are not, there's not enough representation of any people of color on Buffy at all for this to not look a little gross, you know, like they make the comment about hair care, which is not cute. You know, they portray her as being very animalistic, which is a trope, a racist trope. Um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about this um, portrayal of the first Slayer? Um, I think my instinct is to say that if they actually had decent representation of people of color on the show of Buffy, this portrayal of a Slayer from a really fucking long time ago could have maybe not been problematic. But since we don't have other representation really to compare this to, like we have Olivia and she is in this episode. Um, we have Trick, the black, the one and only black vampire, I think that we've seen at all in the show up to this point, at least the only named black vampire. Um, and then we have Kendra, a black vampire slayer recent times, but she was portrayed as being, um, you know, just too stupid. She was just hypnotized by, by Drusilla and it took like no effort at all. Um, so we just don't have good representation of people of color on Buffy. So because of that, 
and because of the fact of, hey, year 2000, we were stupid. We're still stupid, but at least we're getting a little bit better. It just, this portrayal does feel problematic to me. And I can't quite put my finger on it because I just don't have the, all the resources to really speak to that, but it feels wrong to me. If you guys have thoughts on that that are more intelligent than mine, please let me know. I would love to share them with everyone. Um, if you're okay with that, mixtressradio at gmail is where you can send those thoughts. Um, I mean, the hair care comment is gross. You know, like the whole, like, you got to think about the, you know, how you're portraying yourself in the workplace comment is really like, oh, no, because that is a real problem for people of color. They are pressured to like have, you know, white hair types um, in order to be in the workplace, which is not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay to be like that. Um, and that's just not a cute thing to say. And it's not okay. Anyway, I really don't feel like I'm the person to speak to that, but it just, it feels wrong. It feels problematic in some way, at least if for nothing else, because of the lack of representation of people of color throughout the show. And because we don't have those other portrayals, it's just like how, like, there's always like the token woman in any movie. And if that woman is portrayed as being yucky in some way, which she usually is, then she's the only woman you have. Like we could have women of all different, like levels of flawed, um, and all different kinds of archetypes. If there were several of them, you know, and it's just, it's the same with any minority group. Like if you don't have any representation, then anything you do is going to be highly scrutinized and you have to do a really good job if you're only going to have the one, you know? So that's how I feel about that. Um, okay. Where was I? Untangling wires. He says, you never had a watcher. So that's how we get the, oh, she's a slayer. So it's being put together by the time we get to the end of Giles's dream. I, I had a question too. Like we have little elements of different parts of Giles's identity. So we get a lot of watcher stuff. We get some rock star stuff, but we don't get any librarian stuff. Um, I would have liked to have seen like a little bit of like them hanging out in a library or, I mean, there were books cause they were researching. Um, Giles's couch was in the bronze. Um, that's not neither here nor there, but I just thought of it. Uh, but I just, I think it would be interesting if there was like a little bit of attention paid to like, you know, he's lost his job as a, as a librarian and lost his job as a watcher. And obviously he's thinking he's pursuing music in some way right now, maybe just as a hobby, but, um, so they, you know, they tease these other aspects of like possible paths that he could have taken in his life, but they don't really give you any librarian love, which is just sad. Just noted. I didn't ever notice it until this particular time. 
Now it's time for Buffy's dream. You guys, I just paused again to go get more water because apparently I'm just like dying of thirst right now. Guess what? Guess what? Michael, just turn the air on. I am overjoyed. It is always like a thing. Like I always want to turn the air on by like April because <laughs> I get so hot. And he's like, no, we can't do it yet. We can't do it yet. And then eventually he breaks down. He's like, it's Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day weekend. We are totally allowed to turn the air on. There's still no air in my tiny little closet that I'm in. So that's why you can still hear that my window is open. But um, as soon as I walk out of this room, man, it's going to be cool. I'm excited. Okay. Okay. Time for Buffy's dream. So we finally get to see her tarot card. I remembered seeing it, but I couldn't figure out like when we were in the last episode, like I kept pausing like, when did I see it? it it's in, the, it's in her dream sequence in this episode. We see the card. So they probably intentionally left it out in the last episode because they were going to feature it. Like we see it clearer than we saw any of the other cards. And so her card is Manus because she was the hand and just for all you tarot nerds out there, it is kind of thematically a cross between the Two of Swords and the Ace cards because it's it's two of those like hands that are coming out of clouds, which are in all of the Ace cards in like the traditional tarot deck. It's got the crescent moon in the top like the Two of Swords has. And um, the two hands are crossed. One of them is a fist and one of them is an open hand and they're crossed um, just like the two swords are crossed in the two of swords card. So I just thought that was interesting. I just thought that was, it's a nice card and it's whoever does like the, the tarot art props of Buffy based on the symbolism that was used for each of the four characters for the most part like xander's wasn't very well thought out but for the other three they're really well representing the characters and they they work within tarot as well as within tarot symbolism so i love that so let's go ahead and like just because it makes sense to say this at this point my object of the episode is to aggregate throughout the whole series of Buffy. We do see tarot cards in at least three different instances. Um, we see Drusilla has a tarot deck that she uses. We see that a few times. Um, we see um, Tara's tarot cards. I think those are the same cards that are used in this episode and in the last episode, I'm sure that Willow just, you know, borrowed Tara's tarot deck. We see her using them at one point. Um, so my object of the episode is just an aggregate of all of the weird tarot. They're not, none of them are traditional tarot cards. They've been like altered for the episode thematically, you know, of whatever episode that they're in throughout Buffy. I would like all of those cards. <laughs> I would like my own Buffy tarot deck. God damn it. Okay. I'd have to make it myself. Um, so Buffy's dream is all about finding her friends. Like at this point, like it's, it seems very linear. Like she seems to start the dream with knowing that her friends are in trouble and knowing that she needs to find them. 
So she already knows that. She doesn't have to like, you know, they don't have to like figure it out from scratch in every dream. So she knows, she knows that she needs to find them. There's all this symbolism, um, in the first part of the dream. So it's her standing in her bedroom and Tara's there. And there's all this symbolism about, um, dawn coming. Like there's a bunch of stuff, like the fact that the, that the clock says seven thirty, which is hearkening back to a dream from a year ago when it was when Buffy and Faith were both in those comas at the end of the last season and they were having like a shared dream situation. Um, and Faith said to Buffy something about counting down from 730, which is, you know, two years, um, which is counting down to her, to Buffy's death, which will happen a year from now. So, and Tara says something like, that's not the right time anymore because it's not because 730, like we're counting down. She's got a, Buffy's got another year till she dies. And, um, then they make the connection. Like Tara at one point literally says, be back before dawn. And this is not the first time that we've had a dawn reference in a dream. Like she has been foretold for a while now. Um, so that happens at the very beginning of Buffy's dream. And, um, that's when this is like the quote that I feel like you would remember from the episode. And it's Tara saying to Buffy, you think, you know, what's to come, what you are, you haven't even begun. And that sort of, that sort of sets up the, it's interesting because everyone else is kind of looking for who they are. You know, Giles is like, what, what's next for me? Xander's like, what am I doing with my life? And Willow's like, oh my God, everybody's going to find out about me. But Buffy hasn't up until this point been worried about who she is, but this dream kind of sets up the thesis statement of the next season, which Buffy kind of from this experience, she starts thinking about like, you know, what is the source of the Slayer power? Where did it come from? She's, she kind of decides that she wants to be a student of being a Slayer. She wants to be a Slayer student again. Um, and that gives Giles a purpose, a reason to stick around for a little bit longer because he can train her again. And this is what eventually leads her to finding out more about the Slayer line. And this is what starts that. This is, this is that moment. She takes this dream seriously, apparently, because she decides she wants to start training with Giles again and like finding out more because this whole scenario with the first Slayer and the fact that she hadn't ever really thought about it before, like who's the first Slayer, like what does all this shit mean? Like she's part of a mystical line of Slayers. Like she's not really a Ravenclaw, so she doesn't really like think about studying the history of that, but it's cool that she, she's going to want to know. And that's going to be part of the, part of the plot line for season five coming up. Um, that whole thing about her mom being stuck in the walls. It just, it, it hurts me every time because Joyce is just kind of in there and she's like trying to make the best of it. She's stuck in the wall of the school and like literally all Buffy would have to do is break the wall down really quick to help 
welcome her mom into her new life, you know, but she doesn't do it. She gets distracted and she runs away. And that's the only time her mom is in her dream. Um, Riley keeps calling Buffy a killer when she sees him in the dream. There's this whole situation. Um, Riley's sitting across the table from Adam and Buffy's dream. And he's talking about, you know, filing things, giving things names. We're going to do world domination. And Buffy's like, is, is that a good thing? And um, then at one point, Adam says to Buffy, you and I come by it a different way. And Buffy reacts immediately with, we are not demons, which is another foreboding, foretelling situation in the dream, because we're not even going to find out until like the end of season seven, that the origin of the Slayer line is that a bunch of guys took the essence of a demon and like essentially raped a girl with it. And that's how they made Slayers. They did some sort of mystical demon rapey thing to a human girl. And that's how the Slayer was made. So it, it's her origin. The Slayer origin is rooted in being a demon. And Adam, as a character, was able to see through, like, reality he was able to see things as they were for some weird reason, which makes no sense whatsoever, but maybe because he had a chunk of prognosticating demon in him, as Spike said in the last episode. But in this dream, he essentially looks at her and says, I know that you're part demon, bitch. So am I. And she's like, no, we're not. We're not demons. Talking about like the slayers. We're not demons. Um, I really liked the little addition. I mean, obviously it's funny, but it has a deeper meaning. The fact that like at the end of this little scene between Riley and Adam, um, they're like, something is attacking and they're like, okay, we need to get, we need to get going. We need to figure this out. And like, we need to build a fort. I'll get some pillows. And it's obviously it's funny, but it's important that it's there because Buffy sees, sees what Riley does as like, he's poor. He's talking a big game. Like what he thinks he's doing is important. And he thinks that he has a place in this world and he's really fighting the demons, but really he's just building some pillow forts. He's not really doing anything important. Like, he, he's never going to be at the level that Buffy is at, unfortunately. Poor Riley. It also just, like, made me think of Star Wars. <laughs> because it's just, like, my reaction to Star Wars is, okay, so they're zipping around and shooting at each other, and it's loud, and... <laughs> Yep, it's called Star Wars for a reason. <laughs> um, and it's just like every time I see some testosterone -y action movie type bullshit, I think I think of this moment. Let's build a fort. Okay, I'll get some pillows. <laughs> like it just seems that nonsensical to me, that ridiculous to me. Um, so I love that moment. Um, Buffy has her like sacred slayer bag. She starts putting um this beautiful like mud all of her face. It looks so cool. It looks nice. I want to put some of that on my face right now. 
Then she's in the desert and she's all alone. And the music is so fucking beautiful. You guys, it is so fucking beautiful. And she's there by herself. She's trying to find her friends. This whole dream. She's been trying to find her friends and she sees the first slayer and Tara is there to speak for her, which is another thing that might be problematic right there. But, um, she essentially through Tara says, I have no speech, no name. I live in the action of death. I am destruction absolute alone. Um, she says some other stuff too, but that's the part that I wrote down. Um, Buffy's like holding the tarot cards in her hand at this point. Like she wasn't before, but you know, dream logic. She just like looks down, she has them and she sees a window to her friends, like a moving picture of like, she's like a viewfinder. The, the tarot deck is a viewfinder, bitch. Yeah. Um, and she says, I am not alone. I walk, I talk, I shop, I sneeze. I'm going to be a fireman when the floods roll back. There's trees in the desert since you moved out and I don't sleep on a bed of bones. Um, so she says that. And then basically she says, okay, I'm going to wake up now. I'm done. This is the coolest. I think this is a really cool way to resolve this particular issue because you know, like in Willow's dream, she didn't really know what was going on and she was being pursued. Same thing in Xander's dream and Giles's dream. This, he starts doing research and trying to put it together and figure it out. Um, and in Buffy's dream, you know, she starts with that knowledge that like something's going on. So I got to get to my friends. Like she kind of picks up where they leave off. Um, and she, I just really like that. She just basically decides, you know what? Fuck all the shit. I'm waking up. Like, I'm not doing all this. Like, I'm not going to be threatened by you. I'm in a dream. I know I'm in a dream. So you can't hurt me if I wake up. That's, that's, that's what it is. She just basically like, without second guessing herself, she's just like, yep, gonna wake up now. Done with this esoteric bullshit. Let's do this. And she does. And she saves everyone simply by waking up. I mean, she, there is like a fight scene, of course, but it's pretty short. Um, and she says, I'm going to ignore you and you're going to go away. You're not the source of me. And this is kind of, you know, this is consistent with Buffy's character. Like, you know, people tell her, this is what this is. This is what being a slayer is. This is what this is. This is where you go. And she's always just been like, nope, nope. You're not going to tell me where I fit. I'm going to figure out where I fit. That's it. <laughs> um, and I just really like that. And then they wake up and Giles says at some point when they're all, they're all sitting at the table together and like Joyce has offered them hot chocolate. She's like, it's hilarious. They're like, she comes downstairs and she's like, it looks like I missed some action. And, um, what I think it's Willow that says, um, the first slayer just tried to kill us all in, in our dreams. She's like, Oh, you want some hot chocolate? <laughs> which is the official transition of Joyce's character. I did not realize that until this exact moment. Like up until now, Joyce has been kind of an absentee mom. You know, we've had a couple of little moments where like she's offering Spike hot chocolate or something. We're, we get a couple of little like mom nurturing moments, but we really, at this point in the series, we 
have mostly gotten neglectful Joyce. And now the transition happens. Um, she's just kind of there for Buffy in this moment. She's just totally fine with everybody hanging out in her house in the middle of the night, watching Apocalypse Now and having dreams, whatever. And she's there to offer them all hot chocolate. And she has fully become nurturing Joyce, which we really haven't seen before. But by the time she dies, this is the Joyce that we're going to remember. So it's kind of nice that we're finally into like good mom territory with Joyce. So I didn't realize that until right now. This is the transition when she offers them hot chocolate after the first layer almost kills them in her dreams. <laughs> in their dreams. Okay. Um, oh, and then G Giles says, somehow our joining with Buffy and invoking the essence of the Slayer power was an affront to the source of that power. <laughs> okay. I also took some notes about Angel. I guess we can get into the ratings of Buffy and then we'll talk about that for a second. But my voice hurts because I've been talking a long time. Okay. Object of the episode is, again, the aggregate tarot cards from the entire series of Buffy. The outfit of the episode is Tara's pink sari outfit when she's in the desert and she speaks for Sanaya. The quote of the episode, um, I think it's just going to be Anya saying, I figured out how to steer by gesturing emphatically. <laughs> Um, MVP is Tara 555 of the episode. Okay. Treatment of women. I mean, it does pass the Bechdel test, but, but the fact that Xander really carries this episode, he really does. Um, yeah, I think treatment of women in this episode, I mean, it's not like egregiously awful, but it's really, this is, this is absolutely evident that this episode was written and directed by a white dude. It just, and I might be being a little bit biased because... I don't really like Joss Whedon that much overall. He has betrayed me. Um, yeah. I think treatment of women. Uh, I'll give it a three because I mean, it's not, it's not bad, 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 but it's just, and I think I'm, I want to give it a two, but I'm going to give it a three because I think I'm being overly harsh. Um, as far as enjoyability of the episode, I really do love this episode. I can, you know, when I'm not analyzing it, like my analytic mind right now wants to give it like a three and a half. But if I'm not like sitting and writing notes and all of that, and I'm letting myself just be taken away by the beauty of this episode and the gorgeous score and all of the little funny moments here and there, like Giles and Spike on the swings, Anya gesturing emphatically, all of those little moments. It It's my favorite episode of Buffy. It is. And, you know, maybe it won't stay that way 
now that I'm like analyzing everything, maybe something else will take its place. I never thought that that could happen, but it could happen. It could happen. Um, hmm. I'm just, I'm hemming and hawing because like, I thought I would give it a perfect score in the context of Buffy. Like if I'm rating enjoyability of the episode in the context of Buffy, since this is, if not my very favorite, then it's definitely in the top five. I have to give it a five just based on that. I never give anything a five. So this episode gets a 15 altogether for its score. Now let's talk about Angel, if we have to, which we don't have to, but I did watch it. The final episode of Angel season one is called To Shanshu in LA. And it's all about that prophecy that Angel stole, that he just felt drawn to in the last episode that he stole. And Wesley is spending pretty much the entire episode trying to translate it. Cordelia starts getting like visions that were so pervasive that she was basically having a psychotic episode and she had to be taken to the hospital and she was just in incredible, terrible pain. And she was just, she couldn't speak essentially. Um, let's see. Someone sets Angel's house on fire. This demon guy that was summoned by Wolfram and Hart is like doing all this shit. Um, Angel gets home just in time to see like his whole building blow up and he goes inside and he saves Wesley's life. Um, there's the oracles are killed by the guy, the demon guy. Um, so when Angel tries to go seek the help of the oracles, when all the shit's happening to Cordelia, um, they're dead. And so essentially this demon guy that Wolfram and Hart has, have hired is trying to, you know, take away Angel's friends, his house, all of his resources. They're trying to just break him down so they can defeat him easier. I think, um, See, he's called Voka, Warrior of the Underworld. There's this confrontation because in the last episode, Lindsay was, I don't know how much I talked about this episode at all, but in the last episode, Lindsay had come to them and he wanted to like maybe get out of the evil life and he sought their asylum essentially. And then he got offered like a lot of money or something offer. He couldn't refuse. So he ended up staying on the dark side and there's a confrontation between the two of them in this episode. And, um, Angel ends up cutting off Lindsay's arm because Lindsay was about to like destroy the prophecy, the scroll or whatever. And he cuts off his arm to save it. And then the episode ends with Wesley kind of, he finally translates the prophecy and tells them all what it is. And essentially the Shanshu prophecy, which will be referred to over and over and over and over and over again throughout the series of Angel, which is basically, you know, Angel's entire path of redemption and atonement in this prophecy, it basically says the vampire with a soul will eventually become human. Like, obviously there's flowery wording than that, but that's essentially what it is that like, and later we'll find that there's another vampire with a soul spike 
So maybe it's referring to him. But um, in this context, we think that it's about Angel. The vampire with the soul, once he's fulfilled his destiny, will become human, is what the prophecy essentially says. And then the very, very, very last scene of the Angel episode is we see that, like, there was also this subplot of, like, Wolfram and Hart, they were trying to, they were doing this big spell to conjure something. And turns out it was Darla. So the whole thing is about Angel. Like, they summoned this demon to, like, break him down and isolate him. And then they brought Darla back from the, from a hell dimension or something. So that's happening. That actually does kind of make Angel a little bit more of an exciting show. Um, to bring Darla back into it. Like, she's not a great character, but just, you know, thematically... That's, like, the most interesting fucking thing that's happened on Angel so far. You know what I'm saying? Um, so my last note was, Darla's in the box! Because <laughs> there was just, like, this big crate, and they sacrificed, like, five vampires in order to bring her back. And it's like, what? Darla's in the box! So, that's that. Thank you guys so much for listening to me um, for who knows how long, because I had to start a new sound file. And even with that one, it's been 38 minutes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've been recording since about 11 and it is now 1245 in the morning. Thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please answer my, please, oh, please, oh, please answer my survey on patreon.com slash Ray. And um, just to see what we want to do this summer, you know, it's up to us. And I would really just, you know, I just want to do whatever you guys would most want to listen to. And I don't want to just be silent all summer like I was last summer. So let's decide what to do together. Um, yeah, so I'm going to take next week off and then I will come back somewhere around. Again, it might not literally be Saturday like I usually record. It might be Sunday. It might be Friday, somewhere around the 5th through the 7th of June, I will be back. So um, I'll keep the survey up until around the 5th of June. So fill it out before then, and we will decide what to do this summer. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you in two weeks. Bye!